Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. So you've heard of planes, trains, and automobiles, but have you heard of cows, trains, and samurais? Well, you will. On this episode of RDTN, Marty tells us about his experience at PAX, the guys give us a five-minute initiative for a whistle stop, and on the Scurry Report, you'll hear about the new game, Battle for Rokugan. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, and you are listening to episode number 133. I'm Tony. And this is Marty. And this is No More, Mr. Nice Guy. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. I, th- I thought you were going to cut in the song. No more, Mr. Glee. Okay, so... I can do Alice Cooper. You can, but as always, you have a trivia fact for us. What is it? Did you know that Alice Cooper, or his real name being... His name, and at least he doesn't go by Alice, it's kind of the group thing. Anyway, his name is Vincent Damon Furnier, who started making music in the uh, early 60s. And people may know Alice uh, from his early days of wearing the crazy makeup and everything like that. In fact, he was kind of the one that invented shock rock. Uh, this idea where it's not just music, there, there's this whole persona uh, going on. You know, Ozzy Osbourne kind of had it, you know, with the, the biting, supposedly biting heads off bats and everything. And the whole shock rock thing from Alice Cooper was actually kind of an accident when a chicken was accidentally killed on stage. Well, actually off stage during one of his concerts and the press picked up on that on it. And the band decided, uh, we're just going to kind of ride this and see where it goes. And, and that happened in 1969. They kind of rode that for the next couple of decades. And what happened was during a show, uh, there was this uh, gimmick they have where they have a, a feather pillow on stage that they actually use during the show. Somehow a live chicken got on stage. They have no idea how. So Alice thought he would have fun and say, well, he thought chickens could fly. You know, the whole thing, you know, turkeys can fly from W. He thought chickens could fly and was going to throw it up in the air so it fly away. Well, it landed in the front row right into this pit of people where it then got tore up by these by the fans for some reason. And then in the same time, there was this pillow that was sitting off to the side that got ripped up. And so feathers were flying all over the place. So it looked like this really grotesque moment as they were just like, like they were looking like they were ripping up this chicken. And uh, hey, you know, from that, the rest is history. I did not know that. Now I know about the bats from Ozzy, you know, and all that stuff that he did. And I had heard about the chicken, but I always get the two stories confused. You know, somebody biting mm-hmm. heads off of something somewhere down the line. You know, this song, Mr. Nice Guy, actually came <laughs> from the fact that Alice Cooper's mom uh, had a Bible group and uh, the other people in the group saw what Alice Cooper did on stage and stuff. And they kind of got on her about that. And so he wrote this song in response. It's like, okay, that's it. You you think I'm bad now? It's over. No more Mr. Nice Guy. And then he said he would supposedly ramp it up. But then he actually had a big turnaround later on in life. He, he got uh, really uh, messed up with alcohol. And in the early 80s, he cleaned himself up. Uh, he actually went back to his roots. His dad was a pastor uh, he kind of started going back to church and everything. And now he's a part-time Sunday school teacher at his local church and is a huge golfer. 
Now you probably knew about the golfing yes. part, right? I mean, this he has tournaments and stuff all over the place. He's a he's a from what I understand, he's a pretty darn good golfer now. Yeah. Now what I didn't know is that Alice Cooper was the actual name of the band, but like you said, his real name. I didn't realize he still had to pay royalties to the band members. Oh, I didn't know that either. He does? Yeah. It was part of on 95.7, the rock here in the Charlotte area of North Carolina. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was on the deep end. Now, now he does go by Alice. I mean, you remember when he was on the Muppet Show? Yes. Oh, man. That's going way back. <laughs> that's going way back anymore. The wore the makeup and everything. And it was it was kind of edgy for its time having Alice on the Muppet Show. But I didn't remember at the uh, end, everybody's kind of wearing the makeup and everything like that, like Alice did. So it was it was good. Yeah, I think he followed the John Denver episode. <laughs> did he? That was, that, that's uh, that's <laughs> no, two extremes right there. I don't know. I have no idea. But anyway, back to board games, which is what we love to talk about here on Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Is it, Tony? Is it? Because let me tell you what, last episode, <laughs> we covered some incredible board games. We did this whole huge segment uh, where some other guys like uh, Rodney and Jamie and Matt came on the show to talk about Necromunda. You and I talked about our wonderful experience with Sidereal Confluence. We reviewed Bastion. We talked about Fate of the Elder Gods. But what in the world did people continually comment to us and ask us questions about? It was the Cinnamon Roll Apple pie recipe that's it you know mine turned out really good <laughs> i did it it was awesome i mean i we had a nice crust on the bottom from the cement now we didn't use grands now did vanessa use grands i'm not sure what brand she used okay because i think you know because when they say cut them in half and the recipe says this and i'm serious maybe that that is true we need to do rolling in dough and Sprinkling Spices podcast. Uh, maybe we do. May maybe the show needs to be about food with a sprinkling of board games because I swear every time I figure, oh man, all these games, people are going to be coming out to our guild at 1589 and they'll be talking about, hey, I really enjoyed that review and I've played that game. That's awesome. It's like, uh, can you send us the link to the uh, cinnamon uh, bun uh, apple pie dessert you talked about on the show? Can you? Hmm? Yeah, well, Sidereal Confluence. It was in the old cart, but I held back. We know somebody who plays it, who has it. I know I could borrow it any time, but it was in the cart during the Cyber Monday mega Black Friday type deals, even though just to get free shipping thing that was going on. But I held back. I said, I'm moving. I cannot. I cannot do this. Yeah, speaking of which, you're like right in the middle of this. I'm looking at your house and it's it's pretty empty right now. And and in fact, you and I are kind of struggling with uh, doing some scheduling uh, for our next two episodes because it's like, Marty, I got to move. I got to pack up. I don't know where I'm going to be. I'm kind of in transition. How are we going to do this? We have our big fifth anniversary episode coming up. So uh, everybody just bear with us. Um as we try to get our schedule synced up and everything, usually Tony and I had this really good routine of, of getting together, playing games, being able to talk about them. And now with this whole move, Tony, that you're going through, uh, it's going to be kind of tough every once in a while to do this. And in fact, uh, we were going to get together this Thursday and uh, check out a brand new game from Fantasy Flight Games called Battle for Rokugan. 
which looks like a streamlined versions of Game of Thrones. And you said, you know, I, I can't, you know, I've just got other things going on. So thankfully, I've got Nate and Mark from the Scurry Report who's going to join me and play and we're going to talk about this game. And it's going to be interesting to hear their perspective because Mark is a huge Game of Thrones board game fan. That's one of his top games. So I'm really interested to see how he thinks this compares to the larger game. And it's like, is it enough of a taste of the larger game to where where people might be interested interested in it for you know a shorter 60 to 90 minute game. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a neat experience. I'm sure you're going to have fun. It's kind of like me missing out on Lisboa. Oh, you really ought to play Lisboa, dude. It's good. Well, at least I got to play Bastion, Sidereal Confluent. Oh, yeah. Those are really good. Enjoyed those. But, but. We did get to, but we did get to play a game that I enjoyed because, well, it's got drains in it. You know, hey, it's the train game. I'm going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Whistle Stop. We talked to Ted about it. Sure enough, we got us a copy. Uh, Whistle Stop is going to come up in a five-minute episode here today. And, and? And if you want to hear more about it, a lot more than I'm able to talk about, we're on the Blue Peg, Pink Peg show talking about it. Uh, yes, on the episode that drops right before this one, the episode of Blue Peg, Pink Peg, uh, they've asked us to be guests on their show. So we're going to go in and, and sit with them. And one of the things they're going to do is a deep dive on Whistle Stop, who I actually got to uh, play with them at, uh, at PAX Unplugged. I got to play with Robin Christina and got to go uh, uh, play that game again. So we're doing a deep dive on their show. And uh, for our show, we're just going to do our nice little five-minute initiative, our overview, give our thoughts, what we like, you know, what we didn't care for, and just our quick thought conclusion at the end of it. Speaking of PAX Unplugged, which you were just doing because I was paying attention, mm-hmm. what did you think? So PAX Unplugged, this is the first time they've ever had it. It was head, held at Philadelphia. Roughly from what I understand, they haven't officially released numbers, but I've heard in the low 20s number of attendees, which is really good for a first show. Now, granted, this does have the PAX name attached to it. And you know, there's a lot of other PAX cons, right? There's PAX Prime, there's PAX East, there's PAX South, there's a PAX Australia. So those guys at Penny Arcade know how to put on a show. And most of their other PAXs are video game centric. So this one is board game centric. So I think that name alone drew in a lot of people of like, well, I'm going to go check this out. But Tony, what was interesting was the people that came to this show weren't your typical board game con goers. There were actually a lot of new board gamers attending and a lot of people who had never even been to a board game convention before. Which surprised me, especially the week before you do a lot of traveling for the Thanksgiving holidays here in the States. You know, I mean, I, was there a lot of locals? I mean, I could, but 20,000, that's a lot of people locally. No, I don't think, it wasn't a lot of locals. I mean, there were people who were, were coming from all over. Again, the, the PAX carries a big name with it. Um, and there's, I mean, how was it? It's tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand attends the, you know, the main events. Um, so this was a lot smaller for them, but they did a really good job. They had a nice size vendor hall, which what I say is probably about the size of what origins is maybe a little bit bigger, but what they really excelled in is they had a huge open gaming space that was packed for like two days straight as big as this place was. I was stunned that it was that crowded. Everybody just loved going into that one area that had a small games library. What nearly as big as what BGG con is BGG con had a much bigger one, but again, this is their first year. So they're trying to kind of build everything up. They did have this roped off section, which is really cool called first look. Uh, they got to bring back several games from Essen 
and they uh, took all these games and put them in this, what they call the first look area, where if the table is open, you just come, come sit down and you have to teach the game yourself, read the rules, learn it yourself and then play it. But it was a, it was, that place was always packed because people wanted to check out the latest games that came over from Essen. I'm not going to ask you to pick which one is the better convention because that's just not fair. Like you said, pack some plug. It's his first year. It's got to grow a little bit. Better convention between what? Uh, BGG Con because th- these two are competing. And in my opinion, even though that they're going to be at different times next year, I think they're still going to be competing. Okay. I got a bone to pick here. I don't know what happened on social media, but there was this us versus them thing going on social media between BGG Con attenders and PAX attendees. And I don't know what the deal was. It was like, there was a lot of like, I can't believe people went to that. I'd rather go to this. This one is better. Look, here's the deal. They were both good cons. They were both different cons in their own right. BGG Con, from what I understand, still sold out. 20-something thousand people still showed up at PAX, but from what I gather was it was a totally different clientele. BGG Con is hardcore gamers. These are gamers that want to go in, stay in a hotel for four days, and game, 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 game. The, there's, a, you know, there's a small vendor hall there, Tony. I mean, there, you could pick up games here and there, but the main thing is about gaming. Contrast this with PAX. There were a lot of people who knew very little about games. They were walking around the vendor hall. They were demoing everything they can, but they weren't buying a lot. Now, this was actually a negative from what I heard from some of the publishers where they were used to in a con, you know, that first day, the big rush to get in and buy the latest and greatest. That didn't happen. Like there wasn't a big rush at Portal's booth for Alien Artifacts. People were constantly demoing the game. But from what I gathered, they were very careful consumers. They wanted to demo, and then towards the end of the convention, they went back and bought. And Rob Davio, I saw on the last day, he said, I actually really appreciate this group of gamers because these are people that want to check out a lot of games. And he said, this is a different contrast from Gen Con. You know, people rush, pick up the latest thing. I've got it. And then they may play it once or twice, and then that's it. He said, I feel these people are going to buy the game they really, really want and bring it to the table over and over again and hopefully cultivate you know, a community within that group that can really appreciate board games and grow this community even more. So to me, they're two totally different cons. I wouldn't say that this one's better than this one unless you just want to compare. It's like, well, if you want the latest Essence stuff, you're probably going to see more of it at BGG Con. But I would not say that one is necessarily better than the other. They're different enough. They can both coexist. They'll be on different weekends next year. That should help the whole vendor solution. The vendors will go to both, and then people just decide which one they want to attend. Or for people like me, I'll just stay home. I will say this. Uh, we were told that it's like, hey, if you guys like the North Market, wait till you check out the Reading Terminal Market. And how was it? I have to eat crow. Why? It had so much stuff. That, I'm not saying the food was better, but there were way more vendors, way more choices there than there was at North Market. Imagine North Market, but maybe two to three times the size. It was huge and it was packed constantly and they had some incredible food there uh, so for those who told us said yeah you're gonna probably like this then better than north market i have to agree just on its sheer size alone the number of choices you had the number of different vendors is just astounding now was the convention center near downtown i saw pictures of you mimicking famous historical 
figures out there. Mm-hmm. Was it near some of the historical sites, uh, the Freedom Hall, things like that? Yep, it was within walking distance of Freedom Hall. Uh, we went down through the Philadelphia City Hall, which is a real nice area. So it is right there downtown. The market is right across the street from the convention center. Our hotel was right across the street from the convention center. So it's like... On one side of the street was the market, then our hotel on the opposite side of the street was the convention center. So we just stayed right there and we did everything we needed to do. It was, uh, we had a, a great place to stay at this year. And like you said, everything was in walking distance. If you want to go check out the Liberty Bell, Freedom Hall, et cetera. So that was really cool. See, and I think that's where I could probably convince Donna that this is a vacation that we could both go on to other than the coldness of Philadelphia at this time of year. But just say, okay, let's go check out the um you know, the historical sites, because we've done Boston and we enjoy doing that, walking through the city and seeing, you know, oh, this is history, seeing history jump out of the pages at you, because she doesn't want to sit there and game all day. She wants to go do other things. And I, and you know, I can appreciate that. I don't, sometimes I don't even want to do that. You know, you got to get away. And it's great that you have that opportunity to do that, to step out of the convention and go see something other than the airport or the highway or wherever you may be, what was it, you know, and I'm not making fun of BGG Con, you know, even when we were down in Indianapolis, you know, it felt like everything was right there at the convention. You know, you enjoy that getting out, but that's me. That's my type of convention. That's why I enjoyed um, Rocky Mountain Gaming Vacation so much because we got to go do those physical activities and then come back and enjoy the board gaming. And now, did you see, was the crowd cycling? Was it like the slow times during the day and then suddenly at night, whoosh, everybody showed up? No, it was pretty consistent throughout the day. And I got to give credit to the the volunteers at PAX. They're called enforcers. Uh, they did a really good job of, of directing people where they needed to go. It's kind of interesting. You know, at Gen Con Origins, they have everybody crowded up against the door, getting ready to open first day. They actually set up a queue line. Uh, you had to walk. They had the... the uh, Oh, it's not called turnstiles. What's the things called with the ribbon between stencils? These, uh, st- uh, I call them cattle herders. Yeah, but they're, they're st- stencils. Uh, let me put everyone on hold for a minute. We know your time is valuable. Thank you for holding. Someone will be with you as soon as possible. Stanchions! S-T-A-N-C-H-I-O-N-S. Stanchions. Is that, so that's the thing where you pull it up out of the thing and it goes... Yeah, it, it's, right you know, it's the, it's the weighted poles with the little uh, cloth ribbons or whatever that has the elastic that you can pull them from pole to pole to form lines. Stanchions. There's your word for the day, everybody. So anyway, so they had all these stanchions lined up so that these thousands of people could form a nice orderly line and then at 10 o'clock when the doors open they had the volunteers or the enforcers you know guide people into the hall but again it wasn't that big of a deal because again they weren't running to get the latest and greatest they just kind of wanted to walk around i can't see that happening at gen con maybe it could but i think somebody would break line and and all of a sudden there'd be this mad rush into the hall but anyway it was very the the crowds were cool everybody was nice the food was good it's definitely going to be a con that stays around for a while i really could see them becoming like the essen of north america if you know if they get their act together uh, not necessarily their act, but if publishers could maybe say, you know what, we want to bring a lot of the latest Essen releases and have them like premiere at PAX, 
because there's going to be so many people there. I think that could become it in the future. It'd be interesting to see. If you think about all the freight and everything. If they're not selling, I mean, you know, you got to weigh the economics of it. It's true. And, um, you know, like, again, it was so odd. Ignacy had such a great response with Alien Artifacts. In fact, at uh, sun, uh, Friday night at 930, uh, Rodney and I and some other volunteers uh, went to teach Alien Artifacts. A hundred people showed up. To learn alien, I know this was insane. Uh, They thought there was only be like fifty people showed up. They don't do. There's nothing about packs. They don't do tickets. I I I wasn't crazy about that. It's like regular comic cons and stuff. If you want to go to an event like the big acquisitions incorporated RPG session they had with the guys from Penny Arcade, you don't get tickets for that. You have to get in line and you have to line up early, maybe hours before, so you can get a seat. I wasn't crazy about that mechanic. Again, it's very common at Comic-Con and San Diego Comic-Con, et cetera, uh, a Dragon Con. But I, so I wasn't used to that. So anyway, so everything, any event you want to do, you had to line up and line up early. Well, 100 people showed up. So we had 20 tables, five person per table. And Ignacy gave like a 10 minute overview with an overhead at the front. And then there was people stationed every two table to help teach the game. And actually it, it went smoother than I thought it would. But what was amazing to me is a hundred people all demo this game, very excited about it, but he had tons of copies left of the game on Sunday morning. Now, hopefully he sold through some of those Sunday afternoon when people came back to buy, but that's just the kind of crowd it was. They just wanted to demo and kick the wheels without necessarily buying anything. Yeah. Now, what's also interesting is that you were volunteering to help teach. Well, he, he reached out to me. He was desperate. It's obvious. Well, he no, was desperate. Oh, stop it. I'm not, no, I mean, you know, I've, you've taught me alien artifacts. I must admit that uh, before I went over there, Rodney and I sat in the hotel room and watched Rodney's 30-minute video <laughs> to refresh myself on how to play the game. Even Rodney watched himself. That's surreal. Sitting beside Rodney, watching himself teach the game. It's like, this is kind of weird. But anyway, we did that to make sure we understood the rules when we went and taught it. Did it go well as far as the teaching experience? Did you enjoy, did you enjoy doing that? Yeah, yeah, it went fine. Luckily, I had a good table. They, they asked some really good questions, and I was able to answer them. I didn't get stuck on too many things. You know, with that type of game, the basic rules you wouldn't get stuck on is like, how do you interpret this card sort of deal? And you know, there, there were a couple cards in the game that when we talked about the game, we, we saw that, wow, this kind of reads funny or incorrect and come to find out there was some of the cards were just incorrectly written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they ran across a couple of those. But since I'd run across those, I said, well, actually, you know, this card is supposed to read this way, you know, that sort of deal. How was Catan VR? And that's the last thing I want to ask you about Pax Unplugged. You know what? Um, Catan VR was, it was very Catan. cool. No, no, no. Here's what it is. You put the goggles on. I haven't done a lot of VR. So so this is kind of of my first time, you know, messing with an Oculus Rift. So you got the VR goggles. You got the little... Uh, earphones that go over your ears. So that has a nice stereo thing going on here. So when you put it on, it's like you're sitting at a table and it's like in the setting of Catan. So it's uh, it's this wooden structure, this this wooden hall uh, with four, three of the wooden chairs around where uh, other people's avatars would be sitting. And you're looking at the Catan board on the table. It's kind of neat. If you look like to the right, you can look out the window and see the, the landscape of Catan. You can look around the room and see some of the pictures of the people that you may recognize in Catan. But then, you know, you've got the little hand 
controllers uh, that you use and wave and everything in order to manipulate the UI. Uh, so there's a little UI you can manipulate by pointing to the screen to have it roll the dice to you know instigate trades, build roads and everything. It was a really neat technical demo, but it wasn't one of those things where I would go, you know what, I've got to go buy one of these headsets now. It wasn't like, you know, that wasn't the thing that's going to sell you on buying this device, but it's one of those things that's like, ah, if you have this device, this is really cool. And this game is going to be in the, you know, 20-ish dollar range. So for 20 bucks, if you, you know, like if you and I uh, each had the goggles already, I could see us dropping 20 bucks and us sitting there, you know, playing Catan and, and just... and without using a keyboard and a mouse. That was nice too. You're not constrained to sit there monkey with a keyboard and mouse. You can just kind of, with hand motions, do everything you need to do to play the game. That's interesting. So we are slowly moving to the Disney film Wall-E where people are sitting in chairs with the screens in front of them and floating around, not interacting with one another. That's cool. Good. I'm glad we're getting there. Yeah, and the idea is that if this goes well, you know, maybe they'll release expansions to it. And if it goes really well, they'll obviously do other games. So, you know, it's really nothing more that it's a virtual reality playing the board game itself. It's just in the setting that you're in is in a, a Catan setting. Okay. We at Gen Con, we got a copy of a game called Fog of Love. Yes. And it was coming out on this day. And then it was coming out on that day. And then it's coming out on this day. And we finally got one that says, nope, it's going to be here for Christmas. And so we got a copy. We're going to do a review of it. We set up our schedule. We know what's going to happen. And I get this email and they're like, hey, can you do a review now? Because it's out. But we're not. That's right, people. We're postponing that for our big fifth year anniversary. We're going to see Fog of Love. It's a two-player game, and we're going to see just how compatible Marty and I are. <laughs> this, this will be... So, this sounds so weird. It's not weird because really in this game, all you need to do is you will have... Tr it, it's an RPG game of making decisions to try to further a relationship because you have traits of a character. And this was the hardest thing for me and Donna to do in this game. And I, this is why I can't wait for you and I to do it. You got to think like the characters that are before you in their traits. Because when it's asked, you know, questions like, would you go buy flowers for this individual? What would be their response? Uh huh. Don and I are answering like we would be married for twenty five plus years. You know, right? Not like not like these characters. And so I cannot wait for you and I to do Fog of Love for our fifth year anniversary show. This this is going to be so special. That's going to be fun. I actually am looking forward to it because there, there's been a lot of discussion on that game. And I think the only place you can get it, correct me if I'm wrong, is Walmart. Is that right? That's it. Walmart. I know you can mail order through Walmart. I mean. Oh, Pick on any flashing banner at the BGG site because it's constantly up and flashing. In my <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we're looking forward to check out Fog of Love. And like you said, Tom, this has kind of been pushed back every so often. And and we've been in uh, uh, constant contact with the publishers, uh, finding the right time to do it. And they said, okay, can you can you talk about it in, in December? And Tony and I went, oh, you know what? we got to do this for our fifth anniversary episode because just the theme of the game and everything like that. And it's only two player. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talk about that in not the next episode, but the one after that. Let's go ahead and talk about a game that we did get to the table that I was very excited to try to teach you. Five minute initiative begins in 
Three, two, one. So we're going to talk about a train game. And you know me, I love my train games. Whistle Stop. This game is from Bezier Games. Designer is Scott Caputo. It plays two to five players in about an hour. Now the game ends based on the fact that either after a certain number of rounds or when someone is able to get all their trains to the other side of the board and the winner is determined by victory points. Now, if you want more rules, then you can go over to Blue Peg, Pink Peg, take a listen to us over there because... I think we talk all about it for a very long time over there, don't we, Marty? Uh, yeah, we do. They got the rules covered over there, so we're just going to talk about what we like and dislike. I know one thing for me. I like a game that's kind of simple. It's like, what, I, what can I do on my turn? You can spend four tokens. You can either spend coal or whistles, and those are basically to use to move one of your trains. You spend a coal, you can move it uh, one section, and you've got to always stay in the road that you're on or move towards the west with a coal, or you can use a whistle that allows you to go backwards or maybe even skip a space. And the the whole goal is to try to land on certain spaces on the board for maybe buying stocks or getting resources. These resources are used, they're cubes, common and uncommon resources that you can use to, to buy stocks. And the person with the most stocks in a certain company gets points. Maybe you can land over here and trade in some of those resources for different resources. Maybe you can land over to this another special tile to get some, some coal or some whistles. But when you first start the game, Tony, all the tiles aren't out on the board, which is another cool aspect because everybody has a hand of tiles that are placed as you play the game. Yes, I love the tile lane aspect of it. That is where a lot of the strategy comes in is how do you want to move the trains? It's also a way to get to somebody or irritate someone but can make them take a different route where they were they had this great play all ready to go and now suddenly you lay a tile because your train's got to move and you mess up their track changes what kind of resources they get or their final destination or, or for me one of the things I really enjoy is the fact that all the points occur either from the getting the trade or getting the um, delivery of resources at the end I like that where it occurs when those trains get there not this little nitpicky thing of getting victory points here and there and all over the place now one thing I didn't like were those special upgrades. Some of them I felt like slowed the game down for me. I'll admit we didn't get to play all different combinations, but one in particular I didn't like was the fact that you couldn't go to a tile where another individual sat. I didn't like that one at all, and so I hope that doesn't hurt the game in the future. <laughs> yeah, there, there are some upgrades that are kind of ornery, but the, there is an option to where you can buy an upgrade from somebody else. So say, Tony, if you've bought that, if I've bought that upgrade and it's really irritating you, on your turn you can spend resources uh, to buy two upgrades upgrade so you could buy it from me so once a person has it they don't necessarily get to keep it if somebody else wants it uh, so there are a lot of different upgrades that will change over the you only have a limited number that comes out at the beginning of the game which is nice because it adds some variability to the game and Tony like you said a lot of the big victory points are going to come if you can get your train all the way across the board but you may not get all four instead you may use the other trains to try to push your other trains along for example you may use this one train to go over here and get this resource or get some more coal so that you can use these, push these other trains towards the end for those big victory point tiles at the end, maybe for getting 20 victory points or 25 victory points, or maybe you're just trying to collect as much stock in as many different companies as possible because those also award victory points at the end for the people who have the most. So there is a lot of thinking that can go on in this game. And from what I've seen because of that, there was a little bit of... AP with some of the players, even though you have very few options on your turn, how you use those options can 
get you kind of stuck in the mud and, and kind of grind your brain a little bit. Yeah, especially when you're starting to move those trains and you got to figure out laying the track. I think of it kind of like Sora where you're sitting there. Okay, if I put that piece down here, what happens? Is that going to collide? Do these pieces work for me later? And in fact, I think a lot of people can get bogged down in that when it comes to the tile. And you do. You really do need to, as you score those big points at the end, you also got to pay a lot of attention to what other people are doing because if someone is racing towards the end, they can really mess you up. So you got to pay attention. Now, for me, I enjoyed this game. It's a good entry-level game. It's in one game that I would sh share with my family because I think it's a step above Ticket to Ride. They love the tile lane games. It's got trains in it. Come on, what's not to love about this game? Okay, <laughs> we mentioned a few things, but that's beside the point. What about you? Yeah, setup can be a little bit, uh, take a little bit of time, right? Because you got to get the tiles out. You got to sort them a certain way. Then you got to randomize them. You got to put them out. And you got to deal those out. So there's a little bit of setup time involved. And totally like you said, this is on the lighter side of the game. So if you're looking for a heavier game, this is probably not for you. This is a step above Ticket to Ride, in my opinion. And if you got people who enjoy Ticket to Ride, I think adding this adds another little bit more of a level of complexity to give them a few more decisions to make and, and let them see uh, branch out into some different type of action selection mechanics. So if you're looking for a step above Ticket to Ride, use this game as a springboard into heavier games in the future. So again, that is Whistle Stop by Bezier Games that is out now in your local store. Five minute initiative is complete. It's holiday season, and I'm sure you're looking for that perfect gift for that gamer in your life. And what better gift than a custom insert from the Broken Token, where you can find all sorts of inserts and organizers for all sorts of games. And if you're a Scythe fan, you can pre-order right now and get their Scythe Legendary Box, which holds that game, plus all of its expansions. If you want to find out more and make sure you get it sent to you by the holidays, you can go out to thebrokentoken.com and pick up some freaking wood glue to help them out. <laughs> And it's time for another segment of the Scurry Report with our Scurry Report reporters, designers, and game aficionados, Mark Kell and Nate Bivens. Welcome back, guys. Thanks, Marty. That was hey, Nate. What's going on? And that was Mark. Now, as we said earlier in the episode, unfortunately, Tony was not able to be here tonight. He is busy moving, like we said, and he couldn't make it out for this game. And it's a shame because, well, I'll just give you an executive summary of what Tony would have thought of Battle for Rokugan. He would have said it was neat. So Battle for Rokugan. Now, this is placed in the Legends of the Five Rings universe. And a couple years ago, FFG picked up this license. And when they did, we knew, okay, there's a card game coming. And then earlier this year, I predicted correctly that there would be an RPG, <laughs> which is right now an open beta. And everybody was surmising, well, it's like, well, they could take this uh, IP that they now own and do anything with it. And they did that. And this is the first board game that they just came out with called Battle for Rokugan. And I guess, guys, at its core... This is an area control game, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, <clears throat> a little bit of hand management, but totally area control. That's where all the points come from. That's what you're doing in the game. 
Well, it's not points, it's honor. You don't That's win right. with the most victory points in this game. It's the most honor. It's very totally different. Very different from all other games. <laughs> the main board is basically a map of I guess Rokugan, I guess. Is the, I guess and we're so, battling yeah. for it, so this is the main map. And if you know anything about Legends of the Five Rings, you know that there are seven factions, just like in the uh, card game. And the board is broken up into certain territories where there's like a crane faction, a dragon faction, phoenix faction, etc. A couple neutral areas also. So each uh, of the factions uh, may have, uh, I don't know, maybe two or three no, three or four provinces, and each of those make up a territory, which is the first confusing thing. And I asked you guys this. I said, what would you say is bigger? Would you say a province has territories or a territory has provinces? And all three of us said, oh, well, a province is a bigger thing made up of territories, but it's totally flipped in this game. Yeah, I had to I had to kind of use a little mnemonic to like remember like the Northwest Territory was giant whenever we were colonizing things. And that's how I knew it was the bigger territory. And it's funny, we all said, I think of provinces like in Canada, which is like a bigger thing made up of cities and everything like that. So anyway, it took a while for that terminology to uh, to uh, sink in. The thing I was excited about this game is, to me, when I first saw it, when I saw articles on the website, the action selection mechanic of placing face-down tokens on the board, uh, then the tokens do different things. They can use be used for defending, for attacking. Uh, you can actually destroy an area. You can uh, have some diplomacy actions. The the place You place all the uh, tokens down the board and then flip them over face-up, which to me felt like Game of Thrones, which is why I wanted to have you guys on the show, because I think, Mark, isn't Game of Thrones one of your like top games it is my favorite game even over bsg even over bsg yeah game of thrones is my favorite game and that was definitely one of the things i want to bring up is you know i'm definitely biased towards it because not just game of thrones the game but game of thrones as a genre i'm a big fan of i mean i've got the westeros map in my game room i've got a faction you know, all the factions on a picture down in the living room. And so, you know, and we've got Game of Thrones. I like the show. So super fans towards that. Yeah. <laughs> Except I am staring at a box of the Game of Thrones card game that hadn't even been opened yet. Uh, I'll get to it. Okay. <laughs> let's not talk. Let's not talk let's about, about that. Okay, okay. Nothing to see here. Move along. So at the beginning of the game, everybody's going to pick a faction that they want to play. And each faction is unique in that you have a set of. 27 tokens per clan, but what makes each clan different is everybody has one extra of something. So there are common tokens everybody has, and then everybody has an extra. And for example, I was the unicorn clan, and I had an extra raid, and uh, you were who? You were the, the scorpion, scorpion clan. I had an extra shinobi. I was the dragons, and I had extra blessings. Yeah. For, why would <laughs> dragons and blessings... Blessing of the dragon? I, I, I guess. <laughs> so anyway, so there's a little bit of variability in how uh, each of those uh, play. So there's 27 tokens that are placed face down at the beginning of the game. And uh, on your turn... You're going. You start out with a bluffing token. Uh, you got a little screen that you hide your tokens behind. You start the bluffing token, and then you're going to draw five tokens. And during uh, each round, there's five rounds in the game. You're going to one at a time place a token out on the board, face down. And these tokens do several things. Like I said, there's an army, and the purpose of an army is either to go and attack an adjacent area beside an area you control, or to defend an area that you control for another invading army. There's the Navy, which you can send out. This does have like an area where there's like an island out there, and there's coastal uh, shorelines along some of these uh, provinces. Yeah, provinces, not territories. See, I'm going to flip it again, uh, where you can send out boats in order to attack areas. 
Uh, there is also the Shinobi, which is like a, a spy ninja type thing, which can go anywhere on the board. So it breaks the rule of you got to attack something that's adjacent to you. There's diplomacy, which is like, you know what? We're just going to say that this area right here where this diplomacy token is, we're going to live in peace, which means it can't be attacked and you can't attack from it. There's the blessing, which is basically, you said that was your extra token, Mark. The dragons, which gives you a bonus to your armies. I had a, a plus three blessing and nobody else had the plus three. And it would just basically add to the strength of the army. All the armies have like a, a number from like one to five on there, which in, indicates their strength. And, and then there's the raid. The raid is just basically what they call it, scorched earth. When you raid a territory, you basically blow it up and put a scorched token in its place. And that means it can't be controlled anymore the rest of the game as long as that token is there. That's right. Salt the land. We each go around placing five of the six tokens that are behind the screen. Flip over all the tokens and then you resolve. And kind of like in Game of Thrones, right? Didn't you resolve certain yeah. tokens from the top going down? That's right. In Game of Thrones, it's like raids, then attack, like uh, alliances, maybe, then attacks. Mark probably knows it better than me. But yeah, there is a, a order that you have to go through. And just like that, Battle for Rokugan has an order you go through. First, you resolve any raids because they wipe out any tokens, <clears throat> excuse me, any tokens on that province or a, on the border of that province, coming into or out of the province. So it really not only salts the earth, but can even wipe out your own attacks coming from that province, which I found out in the first turn. <laughs> it's like, oh, let me check the rules on that. Yeah, that was not a good move. Yeah, <laughs> Blowing up was, your that, own guys. That, that was suboptimal. And I actually didn't realize how powerful it was to start with. I thought it just destroyed a, an area, you know, and control of that area. Uh, but then Marty hit me with the very first one and I was attacking him from there and it blew up my attacker going into his other land. I, that basically took me out of the whole region there. I mean, I, I had to get back in later. I mean, it's very, very powerful. And there's only uh, basically one per faction unless you were the unicorn like I was and you get two. So it's not like one of those things that you're going to uh, be able to rely on a lot. And in fact, you don't use every token in the course of the game, so you may not even draw it. That's right. And that's one of the most interesting things about the game. We didn't really mention before, but whenever you use any of these tokens that you place face down, once they're resolved, they're out of the game forever, unless there's some special ability that can get it back into the game. So if you play a raid on one of my strongest attacks... I've lost that option for the rest of the game. And the other thing is uh, you pull those five tokens that you can use that round at the beginning of the round. And for instance, my first round, I drew my raid token, but mm. I didn't want to use it. And so I had to use, you know, you either have to use that or you have to use your bluff. Right. You know, one of the two had to be used because you have to use five of the six. So I ended up holding on to my raid until the very last round uh, to, because I figured it would be more powerful at the end of the game than it would be at the beginning of the game. Yeah, and that's one of the most interesting and kind of frustrating things about the game is a big part of the game is which token are you not playing? You only get to keep one for the from round to round. And like we mentioned, all the tokens go out of the game once you use them. So it can be really interesting and fun to kind of decide that, but it can also be frustrating if you get a bunch of your high value tokens in one round, then you have to kind of blow them all in one round. In fact, that's kind of one of the things we said that kind of all of us agreed that kind of bothered us. We almost wish there was a mechanic to where maybe once per game you can mulligan push them all back in and redraw or maybe instead of playing five of six you get to draw seven and play five of seven 
and maybe carry two to the next round. Now, there are some cards that will help you pull maybe some of your discarded tokens back because at the end of every round, you're going to go around the board and see who has control of a territory. Basically, if you have control of all the provinces in a territory, there is a special card that is dealt out at the beginning of the game for each territory on the board that has a special ability. For example, one of the abilities I had was to take two discarded army tokens uh, from my discard pool and put them back into play. So there are little mechanics in here and there to maybe get those back. But yeah, you're right, Mark. You kind of got messed up very first round drawing some really powerful tokens. And you know, you said over the course of the game that the first couple rounds are just kind of set up. It's really the fourth and fifth round where you're going to score your points and potentially win the game. Yeah, the map and your board position are very fluid. So what happens in the first turn or two of the game only has a little bit of an impact toward the final scoring and your final board state. So I had to use a, a, a couple of my really special tokens and even my special ability, my Shinobi 3, in the first two rounds. And I don't feel like they really had all that much impact on my final scoring. And also at the beginning of the game, you don't really start out from like your little area and go from there. You actually determine a first player and then everybody has for a three player game, it was seven control markers where you just the first player will place a control marker anywhere on the board. Uh, the next person plays a control marker. So after the, the very before the game even starts, 21 places have already under control of somebody else. So it's a game that starts out really quick. It's not like you just start out in your home area and spread out. You're already all over the map. Yeah, and that's something I really appreciated and I think reduced the playtime of a game of this scale is that when you start, you're in each other's faces. I mean, you're already in conflict. First turn, we were attacking each other. There's no buildup of armies. There's no transporting them across vast swaths of land. It's just, you're right there. You got to go attack, defend, you know, scorch the earth, whatever, go. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed that too, the the being all spread out. The board is basically set up when you start. And even like, a, I think it was the second uh, turn i was like nate i don't have a choice i have to attack you i have nowhere else i can go so so yeah I, that part of it i did enjoy and it's funny typically in area control games i'm not a big fan because i don't like this this is attacking and defending things so i was like why are you picking on me and and in a three-player game, and we said this, this happens with every three-player area control game, you end up with a gang-up mentality. If you see one person you're running away, you're going to see probably two try to pull that person back. And that's why we all said, you know, with probably four and five players, you wouldn't see that as much. But we all did say five players on this game would be crazy the amount of interactions you'd have between everybody. Yeah, I think I'd be really interested to play it at four and five players. I think it would be a very different experience in the three player game like you talked about. I mean, we kind of compared this to Game of Thrones and what this game is missing is there's such chaos and mobility around the board. And you kind of I mean, you have to play those tokens that you have face up in front of you somewhere. And so you really are, we, every turn, each of us attacked each other. It wasn't like really any alliances mm. or peace treaties. There's no time or room on the board for that. Uh, except for that whole thing where y'all counted up the provinces at the end of the, at the last turn and determined I had more and you need to go after me. And we still blew it and you still yeah. beat us by over 10 points. Well, so, that did happen. Yeah, yeah, did it, did it. Except for that. This, this game, I mean, it has negotiation, but you kind of don't have a choice in, you know, whether to attack or not, for example. There's I not, mean, re like you said, there's not really not a lot of negotiations. So, for example, if the six tokens that you drew wall army tokens, and that's the majority of these, yep. you're either defending or you're attacking. 
And let's, in fact, let's talk about the first player, which was very interesting. You would think going first is good, not necessarily in this game. Being last in the round is actually the best place to be because you can see how the board has been played out. And in fact, at the beginning of every game, everybody's going to get these cards. There's two scout cards and one card called S-H-U-G-E-N-J-A. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But everybody... The Suge Knight card? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Suge Knight. <laughs> everybody gets one of those cards, and the scout card is basically, you can just look at a token, anybody else's token on the board. The other one is, you can discard the token on the board. And all of us were kind of playing, and it's like, well, I'm going to hold these cards till I'm last player, because then I can see, oh, this guy's trying to come in and to attack me with that token. I'll just blow it off the board. But like everything else in this game, everything in this game is used once and it's gone. Yeah. And it's the same with these cards. And once these three cards have been used, they're out of the game. Yeah. And you talked before about the territory special abilities. Those are the same way. And so that, you know, that's a little different than an area control. And this one, you want to control those territories because they give you the special ability card and once you use them they're gone from the game so it's sort of a race to claim these territories use their special powers for your own gains before the other players can yeah and in in fact we all kind of felt like oh shoot i just got this territory card i better use it now otherwise if you lose control of that territory it will transfer to somebody else but if you use the card now at least it's gone out of the game and nobody else can take it and take advantage of it uh that did add some variability to the game because each territory special card there's two of each one so that's nice the beginning game it's randomly dealt out there and these cards were uh pretty powerful that we found out i mean one of them was i talked about the scorched earth and the uh, what was it the peace the peace tokens there were ways to get rid of those and that was in the territory cards one was get rid of a scorched star token and another one got rid of the peace yeah one of the other territory cards allowed you to get like a four and five army which is like the biggest armies in the game back from your discard pile after you use them to squash me i mean the, these are very powerful and i think that's one of my favorite things about the game is when the game starts you don't know what the territory special powers are they're randomized and they're face down you know they're awesome but you don't know exactly what they do mm-hmm. and the changing of the first player is really cool too so at the beginning of the game everybody's clan card is 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 dealt out or, or everybody's clan card is, is uh, shuffled and the one is flipped over that's the first person for that round then you take in uh, other neutral cards into that deck it would depend on the number that you need to get up to to five cards in that deck and at the beginning of each round you flip over a card the neutral cards were like whoever has the most territories this round is first player or it could be your clan card making you first player so everybody's going to be guaranteed to go first at least once and i said that going first was bad but you did get the first player card which allowed you on your turn is to look at a token and return it back to the player's uh, pool which is very important too Yeah, and I really like those neutral cards. Those are thrown in there for a little bit of a catch-up mechanic. It basically says, who do we think is generally leading and let's make them the first player, which again is not the best position to be in. There are several other other, uh, tokens that can be placed on the board we didn't mention. Uh, One allows you to place a shrine into a place. Uh, When there's a shrine in the province, it means... You can attack from it, but nobody can attack you. Pretty cool. Battlefield basically says, you know what? If there's a battlefield token in this province, you can't make peace here. You can't scorch it. We fight in every time. And that was something I was surprised about. We didn't actually see the next two tokens you're going to talk about at all in our game. The battlefield and the harbor did not come up at all in the game. The shrine Mark was able to use to good effect. You stopped me from going into that like really important territory for the whole game. And that yeah, was cool. It, it was nice. And it was the result of a territory. 
So I assume there's probably a territory card that gives maybe the battlefield. And the last one, Harbor, which is this is the one that was kind of weird. You can take any landlocked province and make it a, a harbor so that the Navy tokens can be used to attack it, which I thought thematically that's kind of weird. Okay, here's a piece of land right in the middle of a continent. Oh, okay, now, now you can uh, sell your ships into it. Yeah, and that brings up something for me that when I started out looking at this board, there are a lot of provinces out there. And adjacency really seems important when you start the game. But there are so many different tokens, either your normal tokens or your special tokens, that allow you to move around the board and kind of go anywhere that it, it just felt a little chaotic. Like you can use Shinobi to go anywhere on the board. You can use fleets to if you have a coastal province, you can go to any other coastal province on the board. If there were harbors, you can make some of the provinces coastal provinces. Um, it just felt like there were only a few times where I felt like I was limited in where I could go and had to attack adjacent. Yeah, I agree. And uh, most of the time I was limited just by the people that were around me and their defenses more than I was anything else. And we haven't talked about the battle resolution, but it's it's really straightforward. In a battle resolution, you're going to add up the total number strength of the army tokens that are going into a province, compare it against any defense tokens that are in there or defensive army. If the attacker has higher, basically he takes over control of that province. If the defender exceeds or ties, they gain control and they get a, a defensive bonus of a, another token in there that increases their defense by one and gives them a victory point. So that's, that, I thought that was kind of cool. If you can successfully defend a couple times, all of a sudden the value of that province, if you control it, keeps going up by one every time you successfully defend. Now, I did like that. I like that you got a benefit for successfully defending that province. Uh, so you get extra victory points and it's harder uh, to take over in the future. Uh, what I did miss, or one of the things I missed about Game of Thrones compared to this, is I really like that card mechanic in Game of Thrones where you go in with your armies and then each person plays a card that nobody knows what it is. And the cards have special abilities and, you know, they do really wonky stuff, you know, and it's, it just makes that a whole lot more interesting, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's that's one major difference. The battle system in this is super simple. I mean, it's easy to resolve. It's easy to plan for. Unlike you know a game like Game of Thrones or other dudes on the map games, the strength of all the armies are hidden, which allows for some nice bluffing in this game. A couple of times I would come at Marty with a, a one army, which is the lowest, and he might use his best army to defend a very important resource. And so I've kind of, I mean, yeah, I'm giving him a victory point maybe if he holds it and a defensive bonus, but I've used up his best army for the whole game by bluffing a big attack or even my bluff token and you know so it, it does miss some of the other layers of like strat like using tactics cards or rolling die to resolve a combat but it has a simplicity and a bluffing mechanic that in a game of this length i think is really nice and because of the fact that you have to use five or six tokens we all did felt like there was a little bit of ap the it says on the box the time to play this game is 90 minutes but there is a lot of tactical decisions you have to make. It's like, I've got to use five of these six. What's the best place for me to put these things? And each of us probably took, 
I don't know, 30 seconds, maybe to a minute to decide each of our tokens, unless we just kind of thought out in advance what we're going to do. So uh, there could be some AP to this game. That's why I think with a five-player game, it's definitely going to go longer than 90 minutes. Yeah, I mean, you have six different tokens at the start of like each round, and there's probably 25 provinces you know, that you could maybe put those tokens in. Some are limited by adjacency and other rules. But if you kind of do the math on which six you're going to do and which place, that's a lot of decision-making to make. I think if you were to play the game with experienced players, uh, I think that's... I just did. <laughs> people who had played the game before. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I think I think you could get it down a fair amount, but I think 90 minutes might is, is optimistic to get it knocked out. Right? Yeah, especially at those higher player counts. Again, we only played it with three players, and it took us more than the 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I, a first game of five players is, I mean... This is a fantasy flight game. <laughs> right. Prepare accordingly. <laughs> right. and, and actually, we all thought that all oh, this game isn't going to take too long. Only five rounds, six tokens per round. Oh, this this will be eighteen tokens per round, basically, and then we're done. Um, but nope, it, it did take a little bit longer than than we thought. And then at the end of five rounds, when it's time to determine who wins, uh, we didn't mention this, but actually, the provinces on the board have different point values. Again, you're going for honor, and each province has an honor symbol in it, in, ranging anywhere from one to three on the board so that automatically makes some provinces more attractive than others it's like real i really want that three point one but this one point one's really cool because it borders a lot of other territories and if i can control that i can attack from there easily so over the course of the game you're trying to take control of all these areas and then at the very end when you score you're basically going to take all the areas that you control, count up the number of honor tokens or the honor icons on that province, plus any defense tokens, which gives you some extra honor. And then if you happen to control a whole territory, which means if you control every province in a territory, it gives you five bonus points. And we didn't mention another cool thing I really like. At the beginning of the game, everybody's dealt out two secret objective cards. You keep one. And at the end of the game, if you successfully fulfill that objective, you get bonus points. Yeah, and, and again, for me, that's kind of one of the more interesting bits, but also maybe the one of the more frustrating. Because the range in these secret, these are secret objectives. So you, you really have a hard time combating other players and stopping them from getting their secret objectives. Mark had a secret objective of have six coastal provinces. I had no idea that's what Mark was going for. I even gave him some coastal provinces because they weren't worth a lot to me. Um, and then the range of these, the, these range in value and difficulty. We even saw one that was like control the Shadowlands for three points. If you, if you went for that, you could get it no problem because Shadowlands are not worth any points otherwise. So no one's going to fight you for that. But it's only three points. You're going to definitely get that. Right. But, you know, some of the other ones are 10 pointers. And th- one of them I had was like control one province in seven different territories. Mm-hmm. So you got to be spread all around the map, like for 10 points. In a three player game, maybe that's doable. I'd be interested to see how some of the more difficult ones play in a five player game. I, I think uh, both the ones about the uh, the coastal provinces and that one would be really tough in a five-player game. And if you got, like, for example, dealt both of those at the beginning of a game, a five-player game, you, you're really hurting. Yeah, and that's what I was faced with. I was dealt two 10-point victory, like, secret objectives, I guess. And, you know, maybe I should have chosen the other one. Maybe I should have played better, but I, I had a more difficult hand. Sure, if I'd accomplished it, I may have won, a, won the game. I don't know, but... Yeah, I agree. They did. They didn't seem uh, totally balanced. Uh, just like you're talking about, like with the Shadowlands. I mean, th- that would be completely easy. Uh, I mean, not even sure that the coastal one is uh, as 
hard to achieve as the other 10 pointers. I think the other 10 pointers may even be a little bit harder to achieve. That being said, I would like to try this with five. Uh, I think it'd be really interesting uh, because everybody's going to be so close together. There's going to be so many more battle tokens in the game. You know, you're going to have, what, 10 more battle tokens in the game every round. And I think it will make it really weird, uh, really wild, really interesting. Though. Yeah, I think it would be, in, in a weird way, more chaotic and you would have more <laughs> negotiation somehow. Potentially, I mean, yeah. I definitely think the negotiation yeah. will come in more into play because I think two people, it's going to be a huge benefit for two people not to fight each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd be really interested to play that game because, again, as three players, we, we talk some trash to each other, but we didn't really have much choice. I mean, we had to... We had to, I think every round, each of us attacked two other players. At least. So. Yeah. And we didn't talk about it, but you can actually have one province attacked by multiple people. And what happens is, is each of those attackers add up their strength and whoever's the highest of those will be compared against whatever the defense value is. And that's who wins it. That was interesting in the fact that if multi, in a five player game, if multiple people were going after one province, Unless they exceeded all the other attackers, those tokens they just put out on the board are gone. They don't even get to get used. They're wasted pretty much. That's where that really came into play uh, for me is when, when I would be putting a token out, I'd be like, wait a minute. If if he's got his five sitting there, there's no chance I'm going to win. And I've just wasted that token because it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I brought you guys in because, again, I taught, thought when I first read this on the website, I thought the action mechanic of putting the tokens face down, flipping over them feels like Game of Thrones. Does this feel like a lighter version of Game of Thrones that could be played in a shorter amount of time? To me, it does not. It's just uh, the randomness of it, the, the battle tokens being out there. Uh, like in Game of Thrones, you have a set of orders, and it's the same set of orders that you have every time. I think it's uh, 18 uh, different orders that you can put out. You can be limited by and not be able to put some of those out. But this, you have, uh, what, 26? 27. Mm-hmm. 27 orders, and you get five of them or six of them at random each turn. And I didn't really like that part of it. Yeah, there was a turn, uh, at least one turn, where I only got armies in in my draw. And so, I, and, you know, there were different uh, power armies. But, you know, in that turn, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm attacking five times or defending five times. Yeah, I, I get to choose where I get to place them and whether I attack or defend. But that's really all, all my options on that round. Yeah, and if that doesn't fit in with what you just did the round before, then it kind of hoses you. And, I mean, and with the negotiation. If I negotiated a truce with Marty and I drew six army tokens, I've either got to break that truce or only attack Mark in a three-player game. There were sometimes I actually hoped that uh, because of the tokens I got, I was hoping I would be attacked so I could defend. Because I, I was like, man, I don't really have high tokens to attack with. I was hoping somebody would come attack me. At least I could beef up one of my provinces and hopefully get a victory point out of it and a, a plus one defense at the end. Well, I know, and there was uh, one one round that I had. Uh, I don't remember what the other two was, but two of my tokens were attacks, and two of them were blessings. So that basically meant I could only do two attacks that turn. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, they would be bigger attacks, but at that particular point in time, I didn't really need that much strength to go in, but I still had to use it. Yeah, and circling back to your question, Marty, like this game has the a board that looks like Game of Thrones. It's fantasy related. And the action selection, face down tokens, is the same. But the scale of it, 
negotiation is missing, and you don't really have a choice of what types of actions you're taking each turn, just where to place them, what order to place them, and kind of how some of those tokens are used. That, for me, is the big difference. It just doesn't feel like Game of Thrones because of that, those limitations. All right, let's remove the comparison to Game of Thrones. Just what do you think about the game as just a standalone game by itself? I'll go first. Overall, I think for... The price point, the box size. Which we hadn't talked about. It's yeah. $39.99 MSRP. Right. It's out right now. I looked on Cool Stuff Inc. You can get it for 34 bucks. And this box size is the exact same size as an as a uh, Fantasy Flight LCG box. So it's a small box. Yeah, compare that to like the actual Rune Wars game that I have and one of the giant coffin boxes or even Game of Thrones that takes up so a decent amount of shelf space. For the price, for the box size and the playtime and the and really the learning curve, this is a great area control game and with a little dash of negotiation. Like if you like area control and you want to stab your friends in the back and just have a brawl on an area control board, this is a great game for that. I like it enough that I would play it again. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to go out and buy it. This, for me, fits more into a small world niche mm. than it does into a Game of Thrones niche. That's a good comparison, and I can't stand small world, but I do I do, I do <laughs> like uh, this one better. And again, for $35, bucks, uh, and you get a decent-sized board. It's not like this is a small board by any means, and I'm very bad at judging the size of board. I'm not sure what this is, but it's a very colorful board. The, the cards are very nice. they got great art, just like typical Fantasy Flight games. It carries over the theme from the card game. So again, for, for $40 MSRP, uh, I, I think it, the value of it is definitely worth picking up. If you like the area control style of games, then I think this is something that it's, it's low risk to try. Uh, if, if you want to, if you say, well, I don't know anybody that has it. Should I even risk it? $34. It might be worth taking a chance if you like the style of game. Yeah, I think it would be, especially get it on sale. Yeah, exactly. So that is Battle for Rokugan, which is out now from Fantasy Flight Games that you can pick up at Cool Stuff Inc. and any of the other stores and your local game stores. And before we get out of here, Nate, where can people find you, Mr. Sunday Split Game Designer? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, usually at Nate Bivens. And Mr. Mark Kell, who runs a wonderful convention here in South Carolina, Mega Moose Con. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me all over the internet with uh, at Mega Moose Con. Uh, I've had my own website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at Mega Moose Con. Great. Thanks again for joining us for another Scurry Report. And maybe we'll get Tony back in here for the next one. But again, in conclusion, he would just say, it's neat. It's really neat. It's a neat game. If you're looking for that special game for that special someone, why not get them from Portal Games' Robinson Crusoe? Be trapped on a desert island with them and frustrate the heck out of them as you try to escape. That's what you need to do for the holidays. Think about your survival. Or better yet, First Martian, where you're battling for your lives on a deserted planet. Okay, it's always been deserted. Well, we think it's been deserted. First Martian, give that one a try. Or finally, Expand your universe in, universe in Nirishima Hex. Many, many upgrades have come out for that game. Such a good game. Marty and I have always enjoyed Nirishima Hex. That's portalgames.com slash PL. No, crap. That's the Poland language slash EN. Yeah, it's just portalgames.pl slash EN. <laughs> Tony, 
when's the last time you've been to a Waffle House? Oh, it must have been about mm, seven years ago. It's been a while. It's been a while for me, too. So on our trip to uh, Vanessa's parents in Mississippi, I realized the boys have never been to a Waffle House. And why'd you go and ruin them? <laughs> well, I, everybody has to experience the Waffle House at least once. So we stopped at a Waffle House and you know how they had the option of you can get your hash browns smothered, covered, topped, all these different things you could put on your hash browns, you know? Oh yeah. Smothered and covered. Yeah. Smothered and covered. You know, one of them is, is cheese. So mm-hmm. I guess unless it's changed, I don't remember this. So I got mine where you have cheese on top of it. So they bring out these hash browns and they just took like a slice of American cheese and threw it on top of it and melted a little bit. That's it. That's the way it was seven years ago. They come out, smothered it. Here's American processed cheese. Enjoy. Couldn't they put like some shredded cheese all over it or something like that? Instead of just throw a slice of American on it? Has it always been that way? I don't know if it's always been that way. It's been there that way since I went and it's the Waffle House. What are you expecting? Someone back there grating some sharp cheddar cheese off of a wheel or something? This is the Waffle House, dude. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm sure the waffles here are big, thick, and fluffy. No. They're thin, hard, and crispy. Yeah, they're Eggos. Uh, I was, I was like, whoa, 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 what's up with this? We were all expecting this big, thick waffle. It's, it's, it was disappointing. And the boys was like, okay, I've, uh, I've been here and I don't need to come here anymore. But hey, at least they've experienced now. So you know, if they ever been asked, have they gone to the Waffle House? At least they can say yes. But it was um, somewhat disappointing. You're right. Everybody needs to try it. I've yet to get Rebecca into one, and I don't think I'll ever get her into one. But that's okay. So you had a good trip at, to Mississippi. I did, and I got to check out a, a new game there. I've been excited about Code Names Marvel. Now, I've been and excited about trying that? this game. Well, here's the thing: when I first saw the game, I only saw Code Names Marvel pictures. I didn't realize it, but there's words on the other side. So you can play either version. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's really cool because the pictures on there are very detailed. Like they're almost like little scenes from comics and stuff. So it's not just one singular thing you may see on there, like with Codenames Pictionaries. There's a lot going on. So we played the word side, which was a, a lot easier. But again, it's one of those things that unless you know a lot of Marvel stuff, some of it may kind of go over your head because they actually have names of people like Beta Ray Bill, etc. Which, if you don't know who Beta Ray Bill is, I don't even know how you would, you know, come up with a clue or something like that. But anyway, so we had a really good time with that. But on our last game, we played the picture side. So let's, see, let's just see how it is on the picture side. And it was myself, Vanessa, and her brother against my uh, sons, Adam and Travis, who were just constantly on the same wavelength. So we get to the very end of the game. They only have two words left in order to win. And so do we, and it's our turn. It's like, I've got to come up with two. And I'm looking at these two pictures. I'm going, holy cow, how am I going to tie these two together? And I struggle and I struggle. And it's like, wait a minute. I think I got an idea. I look at Vanessa and her brother, Bobby, and I say, disappointment two. So Bob looks over the table. It's like, well, wait a minute. That picture right there, that's the Inhumans. That TV show is horrible. (laughs) So I'm going to guess that one. Bing! He got that one right. Vanessa was looking over. Wait a minute. minute. Is that Iron Fist? Yep. That's got to be the other one. Ding! We win the game. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Pull it out there. I did pull it out there. That was that 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 was good though. Uh, so yeah, uh, code names Marvel. If you're into the Marvel universe, I, it's it's just like regular code names, except with a lot of Marvel names and and uh, places and everything like that. So it was worth the eighteen dollars I spent at Cool Stuff Inc. and while I was at PAX Unplugged to pick it up, it was fun. 
while you're doing Marvel. Meanwhile, and I haven't gone and seen it yet, but my daughter did, Justice League. So we have this huge spike with Wonder Woman. And once again, DC lives up to the fashion is what she, or lives up to expectations that we all have come to love from DC. According to my daughter, I haven't seen it yet. She says, only go if you can go on a $5 movie night. She was very disappointed. I had really hoped you had seen it because I saw it yesterday with the entire family and I was wanting to have a discussion with you about it. Did she say why she didn't like it? Does she like Wonder Woman? She did. Well, she likes Wonder Woman, but she doesn't like, spoiler, what happens near the end and how they portray her against another superhero. She didn't like that. She felt like the dialogue was very weak. Amen. Preach that, brother. The dialogue was subpar. Subpar. Yeah. I mean, literally, there were times when Vanessa and I were, were sitting there watching the movie, and they would say a line, and Vanessa and I would look at each other and just like, you've got to be kidding me. They just said that? And it was just like so unnatural, some of the stuff that was said. So I, I agree with her. The dialogue was was not the best in the world. Yeah, because we were going to take her to that. And she's like, well, I'm going to go see it on Wednesday. She gets out and she goes, be thankful I saved you from it. Wow. I was like, wow. I'm like, holy cow, Rebecca, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, matter of fact, I'd rather spend $15 to go see Thor again than see this. She goes, she's like, I just could not believe this. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I, I probably liked it a little bit more than Batman versus Superman but way less than Wonder Woman. I really enjoyed Wonder Woman movie. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really, really good. But with this coming right on the hills of Thor, that didn't help it at all. Because you come out of that movie, and I was just laughing the whole time. And I heard this movie was a lot lighter in tone, and it was. They threw a lot of jokes in there. Tony, the, the theater never laughed once. In Thor, the whole theater was just constantly laughing, and any every joke just flowed flat in this thing. Mm. See, you're selling it to me again, just like my daughter did, so I tell you what, we may just have to skip that one and wait for it to come out in two years to the TV. <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you're a DC fan, I think it's worth seeing. I think it's really cool seeing these characters on screen mm -hmm. and seeing their powers. There are a lot of Easter eggs. There are a lot of little nods and stuff. You go, oh yeah, I get that. Which is really cool. Um, and do you notice the, the, the one thing that I was most worried about, I thought that looked the most boring, was Cyborg. And my entire family thought Cyborg was the most interesting character, character of them all. Okay. And yeah, Rebecca said she was hoping for Aquaman. And once again, as the Big Bang Perry's, and I'm not saying that she said Aquaman sucks, but I don't <laughs> know why. But yeah. Well, and now the, the Flash, I knew I was going to have an issue with Flash because they changed his story and his character so much that I didn't like the oh. Flash at all. All really? they had to all they had to do is instead of call him Barry Allen, call him Wally West, and I would have been a-okay with it because he acted very much like Wally West, not Barry Allen. But I'm a I'm a huge Flash fan. So a lot of people may not have an issue with that. All right. So I was able to derail you over to the movies because I have not played a game since our Super Saturday play day. <laughs> So I didn't have a whole lot to talk about here in the outro. I'm sorry. I just, uh, I'm sitting here thinking, what have I played? And I haven't played anything other than pack and stack. Well, before we get out of here, let me tell you something that we have to get together and play and play soon. Dude, I got at PAX Unplugged, Hunt for the Ring from mm -hmm. Aries Games. Oh my gosh. It may be my favorite hidden movement game of any game I've ever played. Yeah, I know you were talking highly about that. I'm looking forward to that. So can you see me? Did I make noise? No, that here's kinda... the beauty of that. That doesn't exist. 
Oh, thank you. No, no, that's that's the brilliance of this game. The the can you see me, the line of sight, all that stuff is gone. It's very simple. But another thing I really, really like about this game is when games like Nuns on the Run and Spectre Ops, etc., once you find the person that's hiding. Well, I guess not Inspector Ops. It's not necessarily, it, 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 none's on the run. Uh, you have to get back to your room, right? Once you're found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it doesn't end immediately, but it's like the game is almost over. Inspector Ops, you, you try to escape the board. But here, what's, once you're found, the game doesn't stop. But what happens is there's, there's a couple tracks on the board. One is uh, the hobbits have only like 16 turns to move to get off the board. And there's this other track that is, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. What is one measurement or one resource in every Lord of the Rings game we've ever played? A ring. Y- yes, but what does what does that ring do? What does it add to corruption? You? Corruption. This has very good. This has a corruption track. If the corruption track gets to the end, the Nazgul win. Otherwise, okay. the Hobbits are trying to get to like Bree and several other cities. If you're found. The game doesn't end. It's just like, well, you're just corrupted. And now it's going to, you know, that moves that corruption track. But the, the the way that you play their cards, there's a dice mechanic where you roll dice and there's different symbols on them. And the Nazgul have to share that dice pool to take different actions. Ooh. Meanwhile, there, there's card play where the Hobbits have their own cards. The Nazgul have their own cards. It is so much fun. I can't wait to get a group together and play it and review this game because oh, it's good. It's good. So what you're saying is we got a sort of a common pool happening there. And no, it's Some not common. a common pool. Well, uh-huh. it's, it's it's not that. What it is, there is a common dice pool that the Nazgul have to share together. That's what I'm saying. So once again, it's you know, kind of like when we played the multiplayer Lord of the Rings TCG best game ever card ding, ding, game. Ding, 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 ding. That's exactly it. Because the Nazgul are talking. You know what? Can you leave that one die for me? Because I got a card I can play. But you can't. Oh, you can't talk like I'm going to play this card which says this. Sounds very familiar. Yeah, it does because you you can't really tell your plan because the Hobbit person's just sitting there listening, so you can't divulge too much. And here's the thing: once you know and play the game, it'll play in ninety minutes, so it's not a very long game. And that could be only half the game. There's two sides of the board. We played the half the game where you get to bring and stuff. If you want to, you could flip the board over, add Gandalf to the mix. And then continue the game from there. And then that can lead into certain scenarios of War of the Ring. How that game ends or or works in Hunt for the Ring can tie straight into a full game of War of the Ring. Which we still haven't played. Which we have not. But anyway, uh, Hunt for the Ring. I'm putting it on the list. You and I got to get that thing played because I think we will both really, really enjoy it. It plays anywhere from two to five players. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so that's January. We'll be cold. We can get that in because... Once I finish packing here, I've also got to pack up RDTN. I can't believe you've left this for me. We have been under construction for many months now. And I don't know how much we can say here, but there's on the fifth year anniversary, some things changing. Yes, it is. We got a big change coming. And it's fun. I, I am so episode confused right now. Earlier in the episode, I said, make sure to check back in two episodes for Fog of Love. That's not correct. It's the next episode that's Fog of Love. Man, I am... Oh, holiday mind fog. Um, Yeah, our next episode, uh, we've had something in the works for a while. We're excited uh, to tell everybody about this change that is coming uh, to the show. So please come back for our fifth anniversary episode. Uh, We have a big reveal things that we're going to be doing and uh, we can't wait to share with everybody. And on top of the big reveal, you have to work for it. That's right. 
the infamous. Is it infamous? Would you say I'm infamous? You're more than famous. What's that from? Three Amigos. Good thing I've yet to see that one too. Whoa, so, whoa, 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 whoa. You've never seen Three Amigos? No, I've never Stop. seen Three Amigos. You're coming over to my house. We're going to watch Three Amigos. We're going to have a Three Amigos viewing party. How have you not seen Three Amigos? It's real simple. Uh, it's got uh, probably one of the actors that I don't like in it. Chevy Chase or Steve Martin? Chevy Chase. Never liked him. Oh, my gosh. You know, I know. I'm weird. I, see, once again, I don't know how the friendship has lasted <laughs> as long as it has. We need to play a game of Fog of Love, I think. That's what it's going to be. Yes, that is exactly right. So, can't wait to get that survey done. Keep it simple. You know there's going to be some mega prize that we'll be announcing. It's large. You people will definitely want to go ahead and get ready for that. And remember, we're going to be doing a lot of the simple stuff. One thing is just go to our guild 1589 and join. Join the guild. You're automatically entered in our year-end contest, and you'll want to be a part of that. Yeah, 2018. My goal is 1,500. We're at 13.4. Two right now, and we'll probably lose a few after this episode because of just how disjointed it was, but that's okay. We can recover. But uh, hopefully in 2018, 1500, I know why the guild, just so I have to work hard, I have to get my polls out. Be sure to come back and join us and join us and join us. Join us. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Man, I am worn slam out. I know you are. Guys, I, oh I, I tell God. you, Tony is, 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 is super tired. He's, he's trying to move from one house. He's trying to get another house done. He's been telling me offline all the struggles that they have. So uh, everybody Stress. just bear with us over the next month. Tony's going through a lot. we got the holiday stuff going on. Fifth anniversary episode, we promise, will be big. It will be special. Make sure to tune in. Right after that's where we take our nice little one-episode break to kind of recharge the batteries. Tony and oh, I will please. do some planning for 2018, play a lot of games, and we're going to come back in January hitting the ground running. That's right. Keep rolling dice. And taking names. Thanks for listening, and to get ready for our big 5th anniversary episode, go join our BGG Guild 1589, follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, and like us on Facebook. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Episode 133 is what you're listening to right now. And 133? Oh, okay, let's try that again. And one of the best places to go shopping for games right now is at funagaingames.com. Uh, funagaingame.com is funagain mm. wow well, I'm glad they paid for that spot <laughs> <laughs> well you need a game to put that insert into and one of the best places to go get games right now is funagain.com funagain fun again. fun whew. the holidays are right around the corner and I mentioned about going to buy an insert to put into a game and you might need to buy that game. And to buy that game, you can go to the website at funagain.com and check out Fun Again Games and all the games they've brought back from Essen, plus all the regular stock. There are some brand new games coming out at the end of this year that you may want to check out from, from Asmodee Games and, and those great Essen games. And remember, if you can get over $125, you can get free shipping from Fun Again and join their membership programs for even greater discounts. To find out more, go check them out at funagain.com. Dot com.